0: Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkey show. I don't know why I keep saying welcome back like this is a series or something. Our series is over. This is a regular episode. I'm Joe, and with me in the content mine is tom hello tom how are you i'm good i I don't like
1: how you shamed me earlier on for using a hack squat machine you know i feel
0: very strongly about the existence of a hack squat machine um i don't like to consider myself a workout elitist by any stretch of the imagination but unless you have some kind of injury that precludes you from using a a regular squat rack um a hack squat is a war crime
1: You're a a barbell supremacist.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with dumbbells, kettlebells, all those things, but a hack squat against the wall. Irredeemable.
1: It is, like, a completely different movement in my mind, because, like, the reason why is I've started using a gym that's close to the studio, because despite the fact that my regular gym is, like, there's an Olympic weightlifter from my uh, area, like a medalist, so... The gym, despite the fact it's a community gym, is, like, insanely decked out. Like, it has, like, all really good bumper plates, and it has, you know, I think two power racks, but, like, 15 barbells and, like, loads of machines and stuff. But it, crucially, does not have a hack squat machine. I walked in this morning, I was, like, hitting legs, and I was like, Do you know what? I've never tried a hack squat machine. I'm going to
0: try it, and holy shit does it humble you. <laughs> I have nothing but complaints about the gym I go to. I will not say what it is. I live in a small city. Um, But I will say it is a chain from the United States. Um, And there's there's something about gym culture here that isn't quite the same. Where is, you know, it's not much of a thing. So the gyms that exist here are all incredibly overpriced uh, for what they are. Like overpriced to the extent that they would be expensive in the united states um and the people that go to them don't work out really they're there to take like instagram pictures which like okay i don't care man do whatever makes you feel happy just get the fuck out of my way like i go to a gym where there is one squat rack and one bench press which is Again, should be illegal. However, if you're standing in front of said one bench press or one squat rack and you're taking a fucking TikTok video or whatever, it should be legal to throw a medicine ball against the back of your head.
1: <laughs> See, I, I disagree from someone who, like, learns quite a lot about fitness from TikTok because I follow some, like, people who actually know what they're talking about. And Yeah, not these just are like, not
0: those people, I promise.
1: Okay, okay. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, I think there is a certain form of etiquette, like if you are using the one squat rack, if you're doing like powerlifting, go to a powerlifting gym, or like just buy a barbell and do it at home.
0: I agree. I t- I completely agree. Uh, I know, a lot, like people who have been listening to the show for a long time, know uh, that I I'm I'm very into fitness. Um, I don't exactly powerlift anymore. I'm almost thirty five. My body is not the healthiest due to prior jobs and stuff like that. Your knees are absolute chalk. Yeah, absolutely. So like I'm mostly just there for general fitness. I'm not trying to bend any barbells anymore or anything crazy like that. But there mm. is like a certain amount of gym etiquette that you should observe. Um that shouldn't scare anybody away from a gym. I encourage people to uh you know go for whatever fitness goals they want just to be generally healthier. Um but if you say are walking around this happened to me today actually if you're walking around a gym have some knowledge of where your body is um don't walk right next to someone that is say squatting uh, and hit the barbell while it's on their back (laughs) um because you can badly injure that person and i'm really happy i was warming up otherwise like you know a barbell you know has you know 200 kilos on it or something and it sways the wrong way my knee is going to explode like a bomb (laughs) Um, you know so please don't do that Uh, and person who did that today I hope you don't do that again
1: Uh. (laughs) I I was worried there am I going to have to bleed something out but like I think yeah like general gym etiquette I think if you are like powerlifters, you know, you need to take your blankie out and you need to go for a nap nap for like six minutes in between yeah, your yeah, set of three absurd. reps. Like, look, I understand one of my good friends is a powerlifter. I understand it. If you can go to a powerlifting gym, go do that. If you're going to do it in a commercial gym, try and go and it's not as busy. Yeah, or alternatively, 100%. like if you are taking up that much time, learn how to work set work in sets with like other people's like, okay, I'm going to be lifting 200 kilos, you're going to be doing 100, let me take these plates off, you work out while I'm, and then we just work back and forth, you know, you work in the sets, but like, my thing, and this is, you know, we
0: open this show quite a lot with us complaining about stuff, and this is... Hey, we have like, dad chat talking about weather with Nate, and now we have like, our weekly gym report with Tom and Joe. (laughs) I mean, like, we, like, gym goals... I'm trying to cut 10
1: kilos in the next 12 weeks. I might die. Um, and that, that is with the, without the aid of performance enhancing drugs. Um, but uh, my biggest pet peeve is because my main gym, and I feel like it is a privilege to be able to have two gyms. I count the second one as a business expense. Um, thank you, UK tax laws. Um, <laughs> but my biggest pet peeve, because my main one is a community gym, is you have like groups of like five 16 year old teenage boys coming in and like using the one bench or the one squat rack. And it takes them like 15 minutes for all five of them to do a working set. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, hurry up, please. Because they'll like do a set and they'll talk for like three minutes. Next one, Le Guinness was like, literally you can do that. And I've seen like guys who like go to the gym and women who go to the gym. Be able to do that with a group of people and go bang, 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 bang. Because a working set will take you like 30 seconds to complete. Yeah. If you're doing like a rep range of like six to 10, but taking 15 minutes for five people to do one set each is just, and you're wasting your own time as well. And obviously they're young, they will learn, they're, you know, inexperienced. And I take, try and take every opportunity I can. If like someone's working out beside me and like, I look. I think they're about to hurt themselves. There's a huge difference between like if someone's working out beside you and you're giving them unsolicited advice, but like if there's someone nobody who, like, likes
0: that guy. Yeah,
1: yeah, y- you're like gonna completely shear your shoulder off. Like fuck As- me, don't.
0: Especially if you're a guy giving unsolicited advice to a woman. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I, I would like to think that we have cultivated an audience, or nobody is like a turbo douche. Um, but nobody wants to hear your advice, man. Like, yeah, and like
1: it, it was so funny because I was in the gym yesterday and I was doing back and shoulders. It was back and shoulders They we I've I've the weirdest split, but I was doing like a uh, rear del flies on a pec deck, and there was a lady who like let me onto it. She was doing like a uh, chest flies and. I did two sets and I was like so in the zone I was looking for straight forward and I looked around and I saw she was standing there I was like oh shit she was wanting to get back on so I was like fuck I apologized to her and I was like sorry didn't realize I've one set left I'm gonna bash it out and she was like no no it's fine I've never done that exercise before and I was watching you do it I was like oh okay so she sat back down uh, I was like oh do you want me to give you some advice if you've never done it she was like yeah sure and I told her like you know just to seat up like a little bit so your arms are kind of more straightforward slash a little bit down so the most optimal uh all the optimal bros are going to get my ass over this and i was like (laughs) focus on you know imagine you're like stretching a band out rather than like you're using your back so you're activating your rear delts and it was like just super chill and i think that's that is the only way to give someone advice unless it's like a 18 year old like kid and he's like doing the wildest shit and you're just like you're gonna hurt yourself and you're not gonna grow any muscle doing that so like you know
0: yeah i have a benefit of well tom you've met me you're looking at me in a camera right now i do not look like the friendliest person on earth i'm aware of this i have resting armenian face i i truly do um and especially like i have my headphones in and i'm not paying attention so i look even more like Mm -hmm. not a person that you want to talk to which is nice in a lot of ways uh I strangers rarely talk to me um but uh yeah nobody ever asked me for advice either um and now that we have pissed off every single person who's ever bought a gym shark shirt <laughs> uh, <laughs> we uh we we can talk about one of the famous most famous infamous even dumb charges of military history at the battle of creasy and this has the added benefit of we're talking a lot of french words in today's episode and nate is not fucking here to correct me (laughs) suck it uh so everybody wait 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 wait, wait. You know, people have been complaining that there's no drops anymore. Uh, and a lot of and people don't know like the behind the scenes of how this works cuz we never talk about it. Uh, I actually don't run the recorder anymore because when I do on my side there's always some kind of delay. Uh, you know, time zones or whatever. Internet in Armenia is actually quite good. I have no idea why, but whenever I run the recorder to someone, especially someone in the UK, there's always a fucking delay. Uh, so i <laughs> so I have ceded control of the soundboard to Tom or Nate or anyone else. you know, um, do you know what do you know what we are we are about homies, homies, <laughs> about about. Um, so everybody loves talking about guys getting murdered with swords, bows, and arrows, right uh, without the advent of guns, it leaves a lot of room open for history to be full of. Characters, some of the weirdest guys humanity has ever birthed out of our collective womb i'm n- I'm not proud about writing that line um <laughs> because there's more dumb ways to die. there's incredibly dumb ways to lead thousands of men to their death, and it's intensely personal but also weirdly impersonal at the same time, um which is why we're talking about the Battle of creasy uh and you said you've never heard of this battle before no. So it is a small part of a much longer, dumber war called the Hundred Years War, uh, which started for a few reasons. And we're not talking about the entire Hundred Years War here. Uh, This is a single episode, not a entire podcast. Uh, And since the Norman conquest of 1066, English monarchs had held titles and lands within France, the possession of which made them vassals of the kings of France as well.
1: It answers the question, what if a British guy was French?
0: I uh, I think I've met a few of those here recently. The weird expat community birds the worst people on earth. You get a collection of like Dutch, English, French people, and they're all just you wanna run them down with a car. If you do not like it, there is the door. You know, sometimes you want to run someone down with a car. And other times (laughs) you want to run them down and do a burnout on their face. Um, Mm -hmm. That that is the collection of expats I've come to know, with the exception of like we had one. I guess you'd call him an expat on our bonus series. History of Armenia is a very good friend of mine. He is one of the good ones. Uh, (laughs) Now, following a series of disagreements between Philip VI of France and Edward III of England on May 24th, 1337, Philip's great council in Paris agreed that the lands held by Edward in France should be taken Physically back into Philip's hands and French, be, uh, the Frenchman be put in control of them, as Edward was in breach of his obligations as a vassal. See, Even- this
1: is like this is like when I tweeted before we did the trouble series. Is like European history is pretty much like hundreds of guys that are one missed handshake away from being beheaded or hung, drawn, and quartered.
0: Yeah, pretty much, and especially in situations like this, it's that, but they're also all related. Um... <laughs> I mean um, you know that,
1: that is that is also european politics and now one of them is uh, posting about anime
0: on twitter yeah um like like we've said multiple times most of european history is inbred people beefing over turf um, <laughs> who's who's got the most sloped chin speaking of which congratulations uk on your new king <laughs> <laughs> old sausage fingers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you keep talking shit about king charles you're gonna catch these inflated hands looks like fucking, <laughs> looks like motherfucking balloon animals i mean like if he was any younger he would have been
1: gray out white collar boxing because he'd have to wear like 18 ounce gloves because his hands are so
0: big it's like mickey mouse gloves but it's just his skin <laughs> <laughs> it's fine it's not ableist if he's a king now uh, charles the of france died on air in 1328 leaving two claimants to the throne, Edward, son of Charles' sister, Isabella, and Philip of Valois, a nephew. At this time, when there were situations like this, the barons of France would come together and pretty much elect the person they'd want to take over by swearing allegiance to them. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like, we must gather the council and you know, elect a king like the terrible ending of Game of Thrones. Uh, and they chose Philip as Edward wasn't French and they didn't want a foreign king reigning over them. Wonder what that feels like. (laughs) Would have no idea. Anyway, let's thumb through our collective history here. Um, uh, Now there was an old law at the time that said women could not inherit property. Uh, And they figured that since Charles was going to take the throne through Isabella, that this also included the throne. So Charles would not qualify, uh, or sorry, Edward would not qualify because he would be getting the throne through a woman who did not have claimants to property, right? Um, terrible, so, terrible. yeah, they're, they're just stretching here because that kind of shit happened all the time.
1: I'm shaking my head so everyone knows I disagree with this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first stages of the war, around eight years, were intermittent, pointless, inexpensive. At one point in the middle of it, the Pope ordered the King of France to go under crusade against the Turks. Uh, like this kind of, and I should point out destroy here. the mischievous Saracen. Yeah. <laughs> the lustful Turk. <laughs> uh, uh, like, and I should be, because someone's like, actually it wasn't a hundred years straight and it was more than a hundred years. Yeah. We know uh, there's breaks, truces, pieces stuff like that all which broke down constantly it was it's generally called the 100 years war because wars just kept getting fought over the same dumb bullshit mm-hmm. over the course of 100 plus years it was not 100 years straight so during you know, one the, of
1: the war union rep is there like tracking workable hours you know you have you know 14th century shocks you know collecting everyone's paperwork <laughs> it's like okay you did like three years and then there was two years okay we can get you some furlough pay for those two years you know we need we need to see everyone's forms
0: yeah, exactly. You gotta you gotta go to your war CBA and see how everything pans out.
1: <laughs> war OSHA.
0: Oh God. I, I mean, to be fair, if anybody needs OSHA, it's uh, any situation where like uh, ten thousand dudes are gonna go camp in the woods. Um, <laughs>
1: that just sounds like a fun time.
0: Yeah. A- anyway, that's I don't know why I'm the, that, shitting that, out of my
1: eyes. That's just loads of. <laughs> That's literally just that's just going to be when we reach the next the eventual Patreon goal of we have to go lock ourselves in an Albanian bunker for 24 hours and record as many podcasts as possible. It's That's just like the
0: lighthouse, but for podcasts, <laughs> taking peyote buttons and just re- talking about <laughs> French dudes. Um, And, you know, during one of these breaks, that's when the Pope's like, eh, you guys need to stop killing each other and go over there and kill the Turks. Um, And that will become important later. It doesn't happen, but, you know, and, you know, Edward would eventually be going to be crowned Edward, III, king of England, because every royal and noble is horribly inbred with one another, like we've talked about. And as Philip took the French throne, he continuously supported the Scots against the English for their independence, which obviously pissed off the English more and more. Eventually, the boy king of Scotland, David, ran to France when the English finally won for good. As payback, Robert of Artois, a French noble, see, I pronounced it right, Nate, uh, a French noble who committed murder to try to secure a lordship near, near Calais, was allowed to run to England for protection despite Philip. Once there, Robert told King Edward that, you know, you should just claim the French throne. Uh, <laughs> fuck it. Just, like, as easy as that. Like, why not? And he did. Uh, He began replacing any French-leaning nobles in the English continental holdings with English loyalists. Everyone knew the war would focus around the Gascony region, which I'm sure I pronounced incorrectly. Um, And this became guaranteed in 1337. uh, Because when the war started, uh, Edward announced that the continental lands are now French again. And so, of course, the French are going to target these continental lands first, right? Um, and an English army led by the Duke of Lancaster drove away the first French attempts to secure these regions. In June of 1338, French privateers burned Portsmouth to the ground. Uh, and between 1338 and 1340, they continued to attack England from the Thames, uh, to Cornwall. I'm just, I'm just thinking about French sharp, you know? You know, it's, it's. As someone who's more interested of, from the of the Napoleonic conflicts from the French side for obvious reasons of anybody who's listened to this show <laughs> I really wish there was a French sharp because it's like a lot more interesting to me um Wait, and,
1: uh, there's a there's a drop just marked sharp drops two I, I, I have to click it I, everyone bear with me three two one <laughs> it, it's it's the weird moaning and whipping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Francis also has control over the soundboard, and he puts so many sound clips on there that I it is... I feel like Charlie Kelly pointing to the string map on the wall trying to find anything. So I'm, part of me is glad that I don't control it anymore.
1: Well, see, this is the thing. is like someone has gotten rid of loads of the drops, so we just have like... One, two, three, four, five, six. You only have seven drops. One of them is the air horn, Russian hard bass, homies, DBZ, and...
0: Ah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) The goal was almost certainly to force the English to divert attention away from their continental holdings to defend England with all these privateer attacks. And then Philip remembered, hey, I got this whole ass fleet together for this crusade that the Pope wanted. But I had never sent them anywhere, so I should send that shit to Flanders and threaten the English supply and uh, communications towards Europe. Soon, the English had no choice but to take out this French fleet, making their move on June 23rd. The French Navy was much larger and more powerful, but much dumber. Uh, They were incredibly badly deployed. Rather than sailing out in open water where they could use their numerical superiority... Uh, to their strength they actually decided to fight in a close quarters battle in like this inlet area and so they couldn't deploy fully because I mean naval battles back then were still mostly like crash into one another and use Mm -hmm. infantry but on a boat Um, the oceans are not yet battlefields (laughs) and you know and also to keep a cohesion of force it was very common for the ships to chain themselves together uh, so you know they wouldn't float away uh, because, you know, ships aren't great back then, alright? Uh, and the, the French in particular had their ships chained together at four at a time. This, this is, is gonna like when, be bad. This is like when you bring, like,
1: little kids on a school tour and they have to have, like, you know, their mittens are like, tied to their jackets and there's like a string holding kids together. I'm like... Or you occasionally see a
0: kid being walked by a leash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um but, like, so essentially, like, what weapons
0: were on these ships, like, in terms of, like, other than just crashing into each Hand other? Hand weapons, bows, arrows, pikes, swords, stuff like that. Like, we'll talk about some early cannons a little bit later, but they're not on boats yet.
1: Okay, so it's dudes just, like, you know, English longbow men with one yes. massive masturbation arm. Yeah. Like,
0: you know, firing yeah, exactly. arrows. Okay, okay. And the English had their ships chained together in pairs. One infantry, one archer ship. This ended up being much better. And we did talk about this a little bit before, during a long time ago during our Battle of Agincourt. Uh, but like Tom, already, you already talked about, the English did have the best archers of the day and the best hmm. bows in the English longbowmen. The English longbowmen had a test of at least 100 pounds and could fire arrows hard enough to punch through just about... Any armor available at the time range depending and the men firing them were very, very good because they've been training from a very young age and how to use them, firing them so often that when an archer's like skeleton from back then is found, their forearm is deformed from holding the bow in place. (laughs)
1: Like imagine being like 14th century Frenchman on a boat and just getting your dick and balls
0: just completely eviscerated by an English longbowman's arrow. I, I just picture them with this massive cartoonish arm and a baby arm. Um,
1: <laughs> it's like that dude, you know. Um, I can't remember what his name is. Someone, if you do know, tweet at or uh, tweet at me when you. You mean like this the, the
0: the arm wrestler? Yeah, yeah, yeah the dude yeah. who like I because I was in He's a bar, German, I think.
1: Yeah, talking to someone about this dude and like pulled a picture up of him and. They were like, which arm is meant to be the bigger one? And then I showed, like, I found another picture of him with his hands open, and it, one hand is, like, twice the size as the other one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that man could, like, skin the bark off of a tree if he wanted to with his giant cartoonish paw. <laughs> be- becoming Popeye in real life. Yeah, exactly, but only half of Popeye. Um, and instead of spinach, it's just fucking dianable. Yeah, but, like, bringing a full circle,
1: it's also, like, the dudes who... You know, sick. You know, chest and back and arms they Little tiny legs. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. They they look like like tops that will just fall over. You know, um, it,
1: uh, British archers. You know, at this time they just need to hit leg day. You need to do their squats. Need to do their lunges. I'll know, settle need-
0: for the other arm day. Um, uh, And and now the bunch together Frenchmen on their ships, which attempted to charge at the English, were made incredibly easy targets for the longbows. And when it came apparent that, oh, man, we have truly fucked this up, the French could not escape due to being chained together to three other ships. They were not very agile. Uh, And this led the fleet to panic. They broke into a full route, which was a very, very slow one got caught in a traffic jam of 213 ships, all of which are smashing into each other like bumper boats, all running for their lives while being wasted by English arrows. (laughs) And in, in the end of the day, only about 20 French ships made it out, leaving behind hundreds of sunken or captured ships and tens of thousands of casualties. Now, most of these were not casualties to the English arrows. A lot of them were, but seeing that like oh fuck we we can't get away they dove into the ocean most of these guys could not swim so they sank like like a like like a sack of bricks and died the english lost in comparison about 600 dudes um, so like uh, since you're way more knowledgeable about this stuff than me did the french military just suck up until napoleon i mean i wouldn't say they sucked um you know it's something of Yeah, Something that's entered the popular narrative based mostly on World War II and, I suppose, into China as well. But, like, they were comparatively as good as the English in most wars. Um, But I will say that their fuck-ups stick out in history because they're always cartoonish in capacity. Um, Which is another thing we'll be talking about here in the Battle of Creasy. It's like, they are kind of shining examples of how fucking stupid you can be is mm-hmm. the same situation as to when you think of other, you know, pop history, famous battles or wars, like uh, situations in world war two, like the battle of Kursk. like, Oh man, how could the Germans be this stupid? Like, well, they really weren't until they were, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you look at the totality of history, like the, the French military was, one of the strongest in the world in- mm. Until they weren't um, And you know it, It's when they, when they fuck up Like here on the boats or here at the Battle of Crecy, Um, It stands out Or Agincourt as we've talked about before You know uh, And like this battle was such a colossal Dick up that nobody had the guts To tell the French king what happened <laughs> So they left that job To the court jester <laughs>
1: Yes Yes, just the 14th century French version of me wearing a jester's hat and having bells on his shoes and saying, oh, yeah. we've lost hundreds of ships and loads of people drowned. Do you want to see me pull a chicken out of my
0: shoe? Just some like poor fuck named like Pierre or whatever dressed as a sad clown dancing up to the king like, thousands are dead. <laughs> well, how, how <laughs> like a french friend- Krusty the clown delivering the bad news <laughs> and site so um,
1: your is just there as well
0: yeah uh, and the flemish also joined english's the english cause in the war though they had to do it in the weirdest way possible due to church law as everybody involved is still catholic for the most part um they could not openly oppose philip as he was king of france Right. Uh, and mm. they would find themselves possibly excommunicated by the Catholic Church if they did so. So despite the fact that they really didn't like him, they had to wait for Edward to declare himself king of France. But like, Well, he says he's king of France too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to support the king of France, this other king of France, which, you know, this is, all, this is called the, uh, the the Pope loophole. The, 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 <laughs> the Pope hole, as opposed to the yeah. other kind of Pope hole. Um, Now, with support and naval supremacy, Edward prepared to invade France. A joint Flemish-English force, which is generally just called every Spanish bar on earth now, uh, (laughs) would invade from (laughs) Flanders towards Paris while a large army under Prince John would attack other holdings. However, bad weather forced his ships off course after three days of travel. Now, a few advisors point out Why doesn't the king simply land in Normandy and attack there as most French troops had already been diverted to face Prince John? The king decided this is good enough and landed with his army of 15,000 with his son as well, Edward the Black Prince, Prince of Wales and Duke of Cornwall. Uh, Now, there was uh, the Earl of Chester as well, which is just a lovely title to have, heir to the English throne. Uh, now, the Black Prince was only 15 years old at the time and still managed to have of the course. sickest fucking nickname ever. Now, he had this nickname just because he wore black armor and he would go on to be an absolute psychopath as any 15 year old prince is. Uh, yeah. But his his nickname sounds like a goddamn Final Fantasy villain. You just don't get nicknames for soldiers like that anymore. Yeah, uh, I was going like- to say, that's, that's like a, a witcher
1: ass name, you know.
0: Yeah, like you would get a quest like Slay the Black Prince or whatever. Now, like soldiers' nicknames nowadays are fucking lame. Like, oh, that's Frank the Baby Dick or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Just like this dude rocking up in Skyrim
1: saying, Skyrim belongs to the Nords.
0: (laughs) Now, they landed near Lavast and the English army launched what was effectively a terror campaign. They specifically targeted civilian populations, looting, raping, and murdering and burning their way across the countryside as... Most armies did in the day, though this one was so bad it was notable in history, which is never a good sign.
1: Yeah, if if they
0: feel if you feel the need to mention it,
1: it's probably not good.
0: Yeah, and the Black Prince seemed pretty enthusiastic about this part of the campaign. Um, uh, now you know it's the 1300s, so it took t- it took time for the word of this invasion to get back to the French king. And when it finally did, he ordered all of his nobles and people who just so happened to hate the English to show up and help him. He was joined
1: one messenger, like, galloping along, but has to take a break every two hours to have a little bit of wine, a little bit of cheese, you know, on the side of the road.
0: Yeah, French labor law stipulates he only can work 15 uh, 15 minutes at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, he was joined by John of Luxembourg, King of Bohemia, who was known as John the Blind. And in case this (laughs) nickname did not clue you in, he was blind, um, sick as hell. Yeah, he is he was, doing
1: like? Is he doing like cool like kung fu like the dude in like John Wick Four?
0: Or is it a case of
1: he's just blind?
0: He was like, so he went blind about ten years before from okay. something. It's the thirteen hundreds. He shit too hard and popped blood vessels and went blind. I don't know. Um, but uh, before then, he was pre. He was known pretty famously as like a great termin- uh, tournament tournament night. Okay. And, but, you know, now he's fucking blind. That day has passed. Um, if only
1: Mr. Beast had existed at this time, he could have cured his blindness. Doing the 1300s equivalent of YouTuber face. I mean, like, isn't just the Pope the 1400s equivalent
0: of Mr. Beast? I hate that so much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh Then, famously, Philip went to St. Denis and retrieve the Oriflame, uh, which was a uh, legendary battle flag that was claimed to be from the times of Charlemagne, and it was only supposed to be taken out when France is facing a dire emergency. Like, this is like a rallying cry. Like, we got our fancy bit of cloth. It's, it's, it's truly going down. Did he run into, like, you know, Arthur Morgan
1: and uh, Javier Escuela while he was in Saint-Denis? <laughs> I-,
0: I like that the king went on the 1300s equivalent of a fetch quest. uh edward's army made its way towards paris trying to find his way across the river seine uh though edward's target wasn't actually paris it was flanders and in hopes of joining with the rest of his army but he wanted to trick the french king into thinking that the capital was in his crosshairs and it kind of worked however this turned into something because you know obviously the french caught on like oh he is not actually going towards paris Um, And it's turned to something of a race across the north with with each army, the English and the French, smashing into one another in small battles at Edward continuously trying to find a place to cross the river while the French kept frantically destroying bridges in front of him. (laughs) Talk about burning bridges. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, like. I'm just going to move on because I forgot where I was going with that. No, I was, I was, I was going to say, like, this is just like, you know,
1: when you have a family gathering and there's that always oh, that one cousin that you want to avoid, but, like, keeps following you around the room trying to talk to you, and you're just like, okay, I'm going to go outside for a cigarette, I'm going to go, you know, to the bathroom, I'm going to go get a beer, and just they always are following you.
0: Yeah, that is my relationship with the English. <laughs> <laughs> and it works as well because these dudes are probably cousins as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And eventually around the Somme, a place where nothing bad would ever happen again, both Philip and Edward came to the same conclusion. Edward was trapped. Every bridge was either destroyed or heavily garrisoned by French knights, and he had no way across. Without much hope, Edward gathered all of the French prisoners that he had so far captured and told them, hey, if someone could tell me where to cross this motherfucking river, I will free you. One peasant who he had captured... (laughs) <laughs> told him about a crossing near Blanche tonch Blanche tonch
1: Blanche tonch We go across the river of Blanche tonch Nate is so fucking mad right now. I can,
0: I can feel it all the way from Geneva. Look, it's not my fault your language was invented by fucking clowns, all right? Um, <laughs> but it would only work when the tide was out. Of course, when the English showed up, the tide was in. And by the time the tide had gone back out, the French were waiting for them on the other side. Then another problem came to the attention of Edward. King Philip, around 40,000 men, were rapidly closing in on him from behind, which is only suitable if you're into that kind of thing. They had no choice but to cross the river anyway, even with the garrison staring at them on the other side. How wide is the
1: psalm again? I'm an idiot. Just how wide is the psalm?
0: I mean, it's wide and deep enough that even on horseback you can't really cross it. When it's, <laughs> with, you know, um, I, to be fair, I'm willing to bet he kicked a couple peasants across just to test it out and watch them get like <laughs> ripped away by the curse. Like, oh, never mind. I mean, if
1: we can drown enough people in the river, we can create like a bridge out of bodies. Yeah, Pretty sure pond, that, that body will, pontoon that bridge
0: ne- that will never happen again at the psalm. Famously, dead body infrastructure—not a reoccurring thing on this show. That um, World War Z. <laughs> uh, Edward ordered his forces to break through the French on the other side once the tide relented. Beginning his attack with longbowmen, leading some uh, hot longbow on crossbow action, as the French were favors of crossbows, which they did. Like crossbows were were uh, easier. Uh, you they didn't take as long to train people on it you know point and click right they yeah. you, they take longer to reload because you have to crank them back uh, but they're much easier to train someone on than a longbow so it's archery mo- on easy mode yeah pretty much and but the, there's a lot of problems with them namely the longbows were all around better they shot further they're much more accurate because these guys have been training on them for fucking ever so mm-hmm. Pretty much every time they clash during this series, the longbowmen are absolutely going to ether the crossbowmen. And also, that's, as
1: well, also as well, that crossbow bolts are shorter, so would have less momentum going through the air and less penetration
0: power. Yeah, um, from my understanding, crossbows were much better closer up, whereas, not to mention, they're also slower. The longbowmen could fire as quickly, quickly as they could pick up an arrow and reload, which they did. The longbow's fire rate was much higher than the crossbowmen, eventually chasing them off, which opened the French infantry and cavalry up for an attack, which broke the French. Um, though by the time the English had fought through, the French forces behind them had already caught up and destroyed their entire supply train, uh, which is bad. You don't want your supplies to get, you know, ha 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 by a whole bunch of angry Frenchmen. Wagon manifests. Now, uh, don't don't fucking tempt me bro don't fucking tempt me <laughs> Joe, We we
1: we have like 25 minutes left in this episode and joe's gonna spend 15 minutes reading out wagon manifests of what they lost how much cheese they lost how much wine they
0: lost look nick had to suffer through the most extensive ma- wagon manifest laden series so far and i promise it'll get worse in the future <laughs> um, not only So now with the British only a half day Or sorry, the English, they weren't British yet uh, Only a half day In front of the massive French army on their heels Edward's forces Gathered in the forest outside of Creasy A small village of unimportance Described by, by one source as Quote, home to a few dusty peasants <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dusty ass peasants, you know for fuck's sake
0: <laughs> Just just like walking around, you know, like uh, the kid from uh, Peanuts with the cloud of dust always gathered <laughs> around him, stink lines hovering overhead, o- o- other horrible things people use to describe peasants. If you,
1: if you were a French peasant and you heard like an English person speaking, it will be like the adults like...
0: That's still just whatever I hear whenever a French person speaks to me. Um, <laughs> to, to include my grandfather. Now, uh knowing that the french were not far behind the english formed their battle lines on top of a 200 foot hill that rapidly became steeper as it went like it started very gentle and then would get much steeper suddenly towards the top i know for some people that just sounds like i'm describing the concept of a hill but mm-hmm. this is this is a little different um it was Getting very hill-pilled. yeah uh it was very very gradual and then just a, an absolute like steep Uh, jump in grade which was where the 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 english were stationed on top of that furthermore because of the thick forests and hills on either side of them the french which were an overwhelmingly mounted force would have to completely avoid them and this also funneled them to a very narrow area because they couldn't go through the woods Uh, Mm. and so they're You know they outnumber them by so much, but now those numbers cannot be deployed in a broad front. They'd kind of have to be funneled through this very narrow area. You know, like that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns, uh, you know, the door stops Mr. Burns from catching all the diseases because they can't (laughs) all fit through. But with French people, yeah. um, As for those numbers, they're kind of all over the place. You know, this is 1300 sources are all over uh, when it comes to uh, how big the armies were. The English forces are generally considered to be around 7000 at the low end, 15000 in the high end. However, because they originally deployed somewhere around 15000 men, you could assume they'd taken quite a few casualties from the campaign from battle. But mostly because it's the 1300s and disease is endemic through every fucking army. A lot of these guys are just dropping dead from, you know, shitting ass shatterbrain disease or whatever the fuck (laughs) else people in the 1300s die from. You know, the wind blows, everybody gets cholera and bleeds out of their eyes. Shattering your pelvis because you've had your first solid shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so it's fair to assume that a few thousand English guys and Flemish guys died along the way, Uh, you know, from a terminal case of upset tummy. Uh, Now,. The English forces are split under three commands, which were called battles at the time. One was under the Black Prince on the right, which is considered a true place of honor in uh, the armies of the day, though the king knew his son was, you know, a teenager and would need actual commanders with real experience to lead his forces for him, and then his son get all the credit.
1: Yeah, these were your a, large son to work day. Yeah.
0: Uh, the, these were uh, Thomas de Beauchamp, the Earl of Warwick, and Godfrey the Hardcore, who is. <laughs> I love it. Who is known as the Lame due to him being born with one leg much smaller than the other. Yeah, he couldn't be that hardcore. His
1: two-step is just not great because, you know, like he can't be picking up change with one yeah. leg shorter than the other. He's
0: just, he just got one step, yeah. Uh, he, everywhere he goes, he's stutter-stepping motherfuckers.
1: <laughs>
0: now, this force was the largest with 800 men at arms and around 2,000 longbowmen. The earls of Northampton and Arundel commanded the second battle on the left with a force a little bit smaller than the right, much like Godfrey de Harcourt's legs, And while well, King Edward commanded the reserve, which was on the highest point of the hill, giving him the ability to see his entire force. And there's actually a lot of people who say this is the earliest documented example of a battlefield commander being able to see the entire battlefield, which is just <laughs> incredible to think about. Before just this, like playing an ordeal. Like playing an RTS. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like me playing Total War, except he wins. Um, <laughs> he commanded about five hundred minute arms and twelve hundred archers. The formation the king chose was standard form at the time: minute the minute arms at the center, with archers at the flanks in a staggered formation that allowed all of his men to fire without break and also without the very real fear at the time of accidentally shooting one of their own guys in the back of the fucking head. Again, just like me playing a Total War game. (laughs) The main difference is I don't care. I'll fire artillery directly at the back of my own men's head. Fuck them. I I don't need them. They're digital digital specs on my screen. Uh, Um, Like General Joe. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's not much different than any king has ever thought about their soldiers in human history. Mm -hmm. Um. Behind the men at arms were some Welsh infantry, and at the very back on the hill were bombards or incredibly unsafe, damn near suicidal primitive cannons, making them allegedly the first cannons deployed in the battle. Now these were things. (laughs) Hell yeah! Hold the drop, because I fell into I fell into a, a bit of a hole here, um, and not the good kind. They probably weren't the first cannons to be deployed in battle. Uh, however, there is some arguments of when the first cannons were used, depending a lot on what you consider a cannon. What is known is that gunpowder weapons of this period were very, very rare at least in Europe, and the first kind of handguns used in Europe were in twelve eighty four not even a hundred years before this battle. though gunpowder weapons had been used in China as far back as the tenth century. These were normally very small and could hardly be considered what any of us would call cannons but those would appear in China in the 12th century. There's also evidence that the French could have used a cannon against the English seven years before this at the Battle of Cambrai. And according to Arab historian Ahmad Halassan, the Mamluks deployed the quote-unquote first cannon in history against the Mongols at the Battle of Ain Jalat in 1260, which have predated the first European handgun, let alone cannon. So, for some reason, Edward is normally given credit for deploying the first cannon for, like, white guy reasons at Creasy. (laughs) Generally, that's how history works, especially military history, where they just credit Western Europeans for doing everything first and better, and it gets very annoying. Um, But he deployed anywhere between 5 and 22 of them, and we're going to talk more about these cannons in a little bit, because they're mostly useless. the English were formed up and ready for battle, assuming it was coming any minute, but then it just did not. The king rode back and forth, rallying his men with speeches before finally concluding that the French weren't fucking coming, and ordered his men to chill out, sit down, and have a lunch break. Yes, we love lunch. <laughs> I'm taking away snacked, the hip-hop babe. I'm taking away the hip-hop horn. Like
1: I'm getting snack peeled, I'm getting lunch based. You know, we love
0: to see it. However,
1: (laughs) I just love that you don't address
0: that at all. (laughs) (laughs) The French were still marching, though Philip gave no battle orders as they went, despite knowing roughly where the English were sitting. The French army was so large, had gotten stretched out over the course of several miles when scouts reported exactly where the english were pointing out that they weren't running they were going to stand and fight king philip tried to chase down the head of his army to order them stop let's all come back together and deploy in a you know an organized fashion they just kind of ignored his orders for dumb chivalric reasons <laughs> because they were worried that those behind them would they they're just ordering us to come back together and steal our glory uh, because the glory comes from being at the head of the army, right? The vanguard. This is going to become very stupid, uh, because what happens next is like something out of a bad sketch comedy, but one with a low budget, the vanguard of the French army ran into the English positions and seeing that they were still really fucking far away from everybody else. And without any kind of battle orders, no organization, no tactics, no nothing, they fell back. Meanwhile, the rest of the French army had no idea what was going on because they were so far away, stretched out over possibly ten miles. So when Jesus the, Christ, yeah. So when the vanguard fell back, the others thought a pitched battle must have happened up ahead of them, and the vanguard was being like was being routed. They were running away. They had been defeated. Confused and thinking the English were upon them, the French soldiers pulled out their swords and screamed to the death and sprinted forward thinking there was a battle happening in front of them, but there wasn't, there was nothing happening in front of them. They're just like, Oh fuck. We're just running at down an open field. There's nothing here. (laughs) Um, And they finally stopped because they were hit by a flash thunderstorm uh, and a downpour of rain. Uh, Even God was like, don't be this dome." Yeah, the gods also hate the French. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they just kind of had to hang out until it passed. Uh, you know, most of the time through history, people don't like to fight in rainstorms. It's not good for them. Um, yeah. But rain has a tricky thing. You see, it. it tends to say, turn a hill into a pile of sloppy mud. So... When the storm passes, the sun comes back out. The sun happens to be directly in the face of the advancing French. Command of the advance fell upon the French Earl of Alençon, who sent his crossbowmen forward to soften up the English front line. A lot of problems here. In the best of times, longbowmen outranged crossbowmen. Now, these crossbowmen who had been marching about 20 miles a day without breaking and carrying their crossbows, which caused, which weighed about 20 pounds or more Mm. uh, were now ordered to go up this hill. They told them that like, look, like the the commander of the crossbowmen who was not a nobleman of any kind uh, because crossbowmen were thought of to be like lower on the totem pole or whatever. Like, look, man, we're fucking Mm. exhausted. We're soaking wet. That hill is sloppy shit. We can't go on. And so the Earl ignored them, told him to go anyway. You Um, really
1: don't, you really don't want to be a combat fluffer in an uphill battle.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be a peasant in a king's army and be like, "Man, I'm kind of fucking tired right now. My 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 intestines just lousy with parasites. Um, my stomach hurts. My <laughs> feet are sore. Can I yeah. just like sit down for like half an hour?" This rags, these rags I have tied over my feet really aren't keeping the water out. Um, yeah, there's. Th- could you at least give me some Gore Tex or something? So the crossmen are forced to storm up the hill anyway. And, of of course, the longbowmen immediately begin raining fucking hell on them. The crossbowmen could barely even fire because they're too busy just trying to walk up this shitty, sloppy, muddy hill. And then the English opened fire with their cannons. Now, the crossbowmen were hit with about 12,000 to 20,000 arrows per minute. Um, So they quickly ditched their crossbows and ran for their lives. And as for the cannons... They didn't really do anything. They fired stones uh, that had been roughly sanded into a round-ish shape and were very, very inaccurate. And of course, since this is the age of knights, people were not exactly sure what the fuck they were doing with gunpowder. So occasionally, the cannons would just explode and churn the gunners into a human <laughs> soup. Like, at this stage, you know, cannons
1: are in their, like, such primitive forms they probably would have been better just rolling big
0: stones down the hill and letting them. They probably would have soldiers. I mean, worst case scenario, they at least can't blow themselves up with them, but the sights and the sounds of random explosions to a random commoner in the 1300s probably seemed like the most terrifying thing they'd have ever witnessed. So So the, the terror aspect almost certainly had some morale impact. Yeah. But the crossbowmen retreat, the Earl gets pissed seeing the crossbowmen run, jumps on his horse and orders a full vanguard charge up the hill directly through the fucking crossbowmen, ordering his mounted knights to slaughter them as they go.
1: This is like the most lethal version of, you know, that cheese run thing that happens, <laughs> you know, where you chase the cheese down the hill. They should do that, but fill the cheese with
0: gunpowder. <laughs> and have a uh, longbow shoot you while you run after it. I, I believe in historical accuracy.
1: This is just like the, t- the coolest version of
0: a Tough mutter or, a, you know, those Spartan runs. Tough mutter brought to you by uh, Timothy McVeigh. Um, soon, a pileup of dead men and horses clogged the single row that the French would use to advance. And finally, the King of France arrives on the battlefield and he too flew into a rage. Not because one of his commanders had just ordered a charge through his own men, but because King Edward was flying his new flag up on the hill, which had the fleur-de-lis on it, the symbol of France. Mm -hmm. So he took this as a personal slight and ordered a full assault up the hill, still without forming any real plan other than go up the fucking hill.
1: Once again, when
0: corpse infrastructure shows up, maybe rethink your plans. It's not normally a good sign if you're on the receiving end of the corpse infrastructure. Yeah. Now, this is where King John the Blind resurfaces. He asks, where's the fighting? And one of his knights replied, quote, it is in this way. All the crossbow men have been defeated and the king has commanded his men to kill them. And there is such confusion from their stumbling and falling amongst the horses that the road is blocked. King John, like we said, had been something of a famous tournament knight. Back in the day you know like the Weird night MMA that's A thing now that I'm a huge like, fan of because How stupid it is um, think of Heath Ledger in a knight's tale But not being able to see um, I'm not hot He may have been we don't know and To be fair <laughs> either did he because he's fucking blind Now remember <laughs> he had Been blind for about 10 years his peak fighting Days were far beyond him yeah. However he told the Knights around him that he wanted to go And fight He looked around, I assume seeing nothing, and loudly (laughs) declared, Then, my lords, you're my vassals, my friends, and my companions. I pray you take me somewhere so I can strike a blow. They had to physically tie the blind king's horse to their own. The horse, I should point out, was not blind and was probably saying the whole time in horse language, Please don't. I'd rather like to survive this battle. This is getting getting your drunk friend into an
1: Uber at the end of the night. It's like it's this way, it's this way and they like literally are so
0: blind drunk they're like walking away from the car. It's more like you have a group of friends and they're all fucking stupid and they're all drunk and one of them is like I am the most sober. I will drive us and then you <laughs> and then you promptly drive off a fucking bridge. Um because they tie the ho- the king's horse to their own and then run up the hill. They're all promptly murdered, and like uh, they don't find their bodies for a while. And there's a lot of his- like heroic tales, because of course, blind the blind king of Bohemia is often lauded as a hero that he breached the line and you know got his his licks in before he got connected to God's Wi-Fi. But the better chances, he just died uselessly and immediately. And the episode has fittingly gone down in history as the blind charge at Creasy. So, yeah. Uh,
1: Like, I don't like in the entirety of this thing and the battle isn't even done. Like, oh, it's barely even begun. Yeah. Like no one has made a good decision in the entirety of this episode.
0: The only intelligent decision that the French king makes is one that is made for him at the very end. Um, (laughs) he keeps ordering charges up the hill and the French just keep at it. Their army was so spread out that when elements showed up to the bottom of the hill, that the last group had already been sent up and died or retreated. So they just like entered the Congo line of doom, heading straight up the hill as they showed up wave after wave all day as the sun was setting on the growing pile of dead Frenchmen that now clogged their approach. Philip, the King joined in and at least a few of the charges, ...and had his horse shot out from under him by an arrow... ...at least twice... ...um... ...how does it happen twice? Does he, well, does he have two different horses? Oh yeah, they just keep replacing them, yeah... Oh, ...just fuck, <laughs> fuck the French... ...oh my god... ...finally, one French charge broke through the arrows... ...so this is because the longbowmen... ...had simply run out... ...they could fire ten to... Uh, six to ten arrows per minute... ...and so many Frenchmen had come after them... ...they'd burn through all of their arrows... And like we already said, that their, their, their supply train had been you know taken out by the French. So they had no resupply system in place. So they had once out of arrows, they picked up their shit and ran back behind the men at arms as a wave of Frenchmen struggled up the hill. However, but by the time they finally got there, they were so fucking tired that the, the men at arms were just like, let me do you a favor and just end this now. And they have no, they have no energy by the time they're there. And just get slaughtered. Then the longbowmen come back out and start picking through this massive pile of corpses that's all around them, plucking out all these arrows and reloading themselves. We we love people who recycle, reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, we we respect our DIY defenders. Yeah, the French should have hit the stairmaster for a couple of months before this (laughs) battle. And sometimes the French charges were just so badly disorganized that they would run up the hill and have no idea where the English line was. So they'd like, like pockets of Frenchmen would just be wandering around and like English men at arms would just wander back up to them and be like, hello, mate, and fucking stab them. <laughs> like they would just like what there, there would be patrols of English going out through the woods and like murdering these lost clusters of Frenchmen. Uh, and another point, the French ran directly into the black prince's position where King Edward could see from where he was sitting. He asked one of his aides, like, hey, is my son dead? And he was told no, but he would really like the king to send in his reserves because, you know, he's finally catching a big, a pretty big charge of Frenchmen. Yeah. Uh, the king refused because he thought his son needed to quote, earn his spurs and let hi- and like, you know, get bloodied in battle to earn the respect of the other nobles and stuff, earn a name for himself despite the fact he had a sick fucking nickname. So he just let him fight on his own. Great dad. For Solid. For anyone listening at home,
1: my head has been in my hands probably about 50 times in the past 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, that tends to happen when you know, the battle kind of begins with one side charging into themselves. And that's like before anything else has even happened. Now, the sun has finally set, but the French kept charging up the hill which is unique, you know, night battles are not common back then, but King Philip, like, just literally would not give up. They may have charged anywhere from 15 to 20 times in total, uh, and King Philip asked one of his aides, what should I do? Because uh, he's, like, literally beside himself, like, confused as why this isn't working, <laughs> and the, the aide rightfully pointed out, we should fucking retreat, or withdraw, yeah. you know, it's a you know, they don't have to worry about the English chasing them. They don't have the numbers to do so. But like, we should leave. This is not working. Instead of doing that, the king began crying and didn't give any orders.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, you know, sometimes you need to let your emotions flow. You can't hold it in. Sometimes you need to, you know, really feel how you feel. And I think in that
0: moment, I think he was justified. Self-care is important. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. Even, even on the
0: field of battle. And in the absence of any orders, the French looked around like, well, I guess we'll just keep going up the hill. Okay, Kate Bush. <laughs> now, at, at one point, the Earl of Alençon, uh, Alençon uh, almost died, uh, so, uh, you know, which is his, the king's brother. So the yeah. king jumped on another horse, ran out to help him, and then another horse got shot up from under him and he almost died. Look, man, once you achieve the hat trick of dead horses, you call it a day. I'm, I'm not saying there's a fan of horses. You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame
1: on you. Fool me three times, I think it's you're just being stupid.
0: <laughs> fool me three times, the horses are going on strike. <laughs> what, what if it's a secret third thing? These are French horses, after all. They're going to be striking, riding in Paris, and we fully support local horse union 63 or whatever. Yeah, the horses are the only, you know, combatants on the French side that I actually feel sorry for. Yeah, pretty much. Finally, the French king called off the attack, but only because one of Philip's commanders effectively forced him to leave. He grabbed another horse, plopped the king onto it like a giant baby... And shoved it in the opposite direction, saying, "Sire, it's time to go away. You have lost this time, but you may win another time. And if you stay longer, you will lose everything." And you know, the king finally called it a day. Now, here's where the interesting part is. When it was all said and done, the French nobility were annihilated. Um, you can hit, you can hit the hip hop siren now. Wait, 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 wait! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Home country. <laughs> um, we, we stand a dead pile of nobles on this show. Among the dead were, of course, one king, John of Bohemia, nine princes, ten counts, a duke, an archbishop, and a bishop. Thousands of minor nobles died as well. This is kind of by the English, by the heraldry on their coats. And when they picked across the battlefield at the end, like, oh, there's a fancy jacket. That guy must be fucking important. Fuck now, him. here's the other interesting thing. These, back then, the only casualties that were thought to be important to count in a battle were nobles, knights, shit like that. Um, so uh, nobody's actually entirely sure how many Frenchmen died. Because if you were a regular like levy, peasant guy who was given a sword, a baguette, and kicked in the direction of the English, nobody recorded that you died. You were not thought important enough to tally your dead body, so they were left completely uncounted, according to the book *Infantry Warfare in the Early Fourteenth Century*. A riveting read, if you can't tell by the title. <laughs> around sixteen thousand French soldiers died in total, but was probably much higher, close to thirty. Jesus. As Christ. for the English, they did a roll call at the end of the battle. Forty men were missing. Johnny, Forty. Here, Robert. Here. Forty. Four zero we're missing from the roll call.
1: Like and that is that is like the ultimate L plus ratio plus you lost the battle plus your French.
0: <laughs> oh, two English knights are also captured, and as was custom of the day, they were ransomed back for a princely sum. Do you know how much? Yeah, uh I assume uh I don't know, twenty bucks and uh a DoorDash credit. like a half-smoked pack of cigs. I I will give you, uh, I have this shitty sack of of shag weed that I bought from some guy in a sock. (laughs) Uh, All stems. Yeah. Now, this destroyed the French ability to make war and eventually led to the fall of Calais and the English dominance over northern France for the next 200 years. So this has all been pretty depressing, especially if you're a fan of Horses are French people. So we figure should lighten this up a bit. In order to do all of this, we have to go back to the Black Prince and his life. According to the paper, The Illness of Edward the Black Prince, he suffered from dysentery for a decade. And, quote, His dysentery had become so violent on occasion, it caused him to faint from weakness. And his... (laughs) And his household believed he had died. (laughs) So he shit himself into unconsciousness for a decade (laughs) before finally dying. The end. (laughs) Imagine
1: getting owned so hard that you shit yourself to death over the course of 10 years.
0: Like, you know how in like Victorian era films like to show like people becoming so shocked that they faint? Yeah, This is just him, but every time he's just filling his fucking pants and collapsing. And, I mean, most of this time he's bedridden as well. Yeah. So he he's just sitting in one of those ornately decorated four-poster beds with a small army of servants around him just ethering his own pants uh, until he finally dies. Um,
1: I, I Do you know, the only person I feel sorry for in this entire story is, one, the horses. And, two... The poor French apothecary who had to come up with like ointments and ointments and unguents and creams to stop this like
0: decade long sting ring. <laughs> I, knowing medicine at the time, there was a lot of leeches involved, both inside and outside of him, um, and he <gasps> and he died miserably. Oh. Uh, which is also how I assume how King Charles will die um, now. Tom, we do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion. Yes. Are you familiar with it? If you would like to ask us a question from the Legion, you can donate to the show or we'll join us on our Discord where we occasionally ask people for, for questions or message us on the Patreon and we will pick out the ones we feel that are most fitting for the end of the show. And now this one is interesting and could go a lot of places. What is the podcast project that you are most proud of that you've worked on yours could be a a lot of things i work on this show and this show alone (laughs) um either my
1: own show or the troubled series like the troubled series took me months to do um i'm working on another one um actually that might be out by the time this episode comes out no uh, no this one's coming out soon okay Um, yeah, like, the Trouble series, I spent months on it. I actually talked about it on Twitter, um, spent months working on it, and, like, writing it, rewriting it, and then, like, my own show, because, like, I spent, like, two years kicking the idea around in my head, and, like, spent so long researching it and figuring out, okay, how do I make this and make it interesting enough that people will listen to it, and, like, it is where it is now, so, yeah, like, um, yeah i
0: i'm gonna guess yours is gonna be kursk so i have several actually because this show's been around it'll be five years soon i believe it's five years this month and people who've been listening since the beginning I'm sure there's not many of them since back then we had like you know two listeners one of whom was nate because he had to produce it <laughs> um you know, we have gone. We've gone a long way, and especially I have. Like I think I've said before on the show, when the show started, I had not yet finished grad school. Um, I maybe I didn't take my research as seriously because I was just having fun. I mean, I still have fun. I had a day job, uh, so I couldn't dedicate as much time to research as as much as I wanted. But I think the episode where I truly like cracked like this is how this show should be going forward, and this is where we continue to get better. Is the Soviet Afghan War series, um, and then because I'm still very very proud of that. Of course, there's things I could have done better. Um, I could have, which I think I do much better now. I could have edited myself a lot more rather than going on for I believe eight and a half, almost nine hours over the course of seven episodes, give or take. Um, I could. My research was. I, I'm still proud of it. I still stand by it. And then going forward from that, I think another. Because there's a lot of serious things we talk about, where well, there truly is no room for bullshitting. Mm. Um, and for a long time, I was very afraid of broaching those topics for that reason. Like our vibe of the show is making history entertaining and you know approachable for people who are not historians, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of thing, and we do that by you know lighting the mood where we can, and you know making jokes about the Black Prince shitting himself in unconsciousness. Um, so I was kind of gun shy about talking about a lot of. Uh, much more serious topics. And I think I finally figured out how to do that the best way possible during our Khmer Rouge series. Uh, And, you know, from there, not only was it well received, it literally got me into grad school for genocide studies, (laughs) which is baffling to me. Um, Like they wanted to, like they complimented me on it, uh, on my, on my entry and stuff. And, you know, going even forward from that. so hard. You got a master's. Yeah. I mean, you're not even lying. It is one of the things that like, because after I got my bachelor's, I didn't think about going to school anymore. Outside of the cost and the time and things like that, I, I wonder, like, what was the point? And it really did teach me more um, how, how to research and write better, of course. And then even going beyond that, like, you know I'm very proud of the Kursk series. I think uh, the mm-hmm. Kursk series taught me how to take this massive thing that's a part of a much bigger thing and make it, you know, digestible. And so I'm, I'm very proud of those things for very different reasons. Um, and I like, I could talk more about the other series we've worked on, but hopefully I can continue building off of that because it's been five years. I have no intention of stopping of course. So hopefully the only way forward is by getting better, uh, in the future. (laughs) Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining me at the battle of Creasy. Use this area to plug your shows. Um yeah so listen to Beneath the Skin
1: it's a show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. Um we've been on like a really cool run of episodes recently. Um if you're not like super into tattooing still listen to it because we mainly talk about history and use tattooing as a vehicle to talk about, you know, other parts of history. Um literally today we are recording an episode with the publishers of the russian prison tattoo encyclopedia books about their new book that's coming out we're going to talk about you know the cultural history of the carceral system in russia and crime in russia and how it came to be represented in this like visual language through tattooing and um, we got to do like i got to put out an absolute mount rushmore episode for the show we have an interview with ed hardy that came out last week and um, it's on our patreon and yeah, like li- listen listen to more lines. It's the only other show that I am on regularly. There um, is 33rd <laughs> County on Hell of a Way. Listen to that would mean shocks. But yeah, listen to
0: this show. Listen to Beneath Skin. Um, yeah. Thanks, man. And if you like what we do here and you think it's worth your money, you, we have a Patreon as well. You can support us for as little as a dollar. Um, you can get Discord access, early episodes, uh, all of our regular episodes like this one, early before anybody else. I uh, get five years of bonus content, get two paywalled other series that we do, uh, stickers, books. I'm doing an audio book that's being published only through Patreon. So like, yeah, support the show. Do it that way. Uh, and it, it goes a long way. And if you don't feel like doing that, that's fine. It's your money. Do with it as you please. But leave us a review. And wherever the hell it is that you listen to a podcast, it does us a lot of good. And until next time. Uh don't shit yourself for 10 years and die <laughs>